Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio, episode number 35, and it is a big one. It's an all-promoter show. Joining us on the show today, the raging babe, Michelle Rosado, an up-and-coming promoter in the game off the heels of a great show over in Philly, the the uh, Philly Special, she called it, at the 2300 Arena. It's sold out. Uh, she did a great job at that. We'll get her thoughts on everything that makes a, a grassroots club show. She's doing great things right now in the promoter world then of course we'll talk to mr lou DeBella, who will give us updates on uh, wilder and fury give us updates on progray uh, as well as uh, richard comey and then some just general talk about the business side of boxing so those are our two interviews uh, for the day let's get over to the fights that we saw this past weekend another busy busy weekend in the world of boxing of course every single weekend it seems like uh, for the whole calendar year is going to be fights and we also saw some fights on sunday which is, I feel like is going to be a new thing that uh, Top Rank is uh, starting to do. But we'll start with what we saw on Saturday night out in Indio, California, on DAZN, on the app. Uh, we saw a Cinderella story, folks. That was probably my favorite moment in boxing in quite a long time. We saw Andrew Cancio uh, with one of the biggest upsets in, in recent years when he took out Alberto Machado. Uh, Andrew Cancio is now your WBA junior lightweight champion. And uh, yes, he didn't just beat Alberto Machado. He absolutely took him out. I mean, he touched the canvas in the in the first round, uh, Cancio, and you know everything was stacked against him uh, in this fight. And he got up off the mat in that first round, and he went on to to outland Machado forty to sixteen in the power department over the final two rounds, knocking him down numerous times in that fourth round before the the ref waved it off. And uh, you know, Cancio is your new WBA lightweight, junior lightweight champion. But the reason why it was such a great night and the reason why it was a Cinderella story is because Cancio quit the sport of boxing two years ago. He quit the sport. I mean, he was the guy after Judge Diaz, the loss to Judge Diaz, he decided, you know, I had enough. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, he's got a nine to five job at a gas company, literally pounding pavement out in the deserts of California. He wins, gets the upset, and he moves on. That's one of the best stories in boxing in a long time. Over to the Showtime side, uh, we saw Javante Davis do what he does. Uh, too big, too powerful, too fast. Took out Hugo Ruiz in one round. Uh, we saw the Thriller entrance, which I think looked good on paper. The execution of it wasn't so great. Uh, you had Tank walking out. He looked a little like out of it, didn't know what to do with it. The entrance lasted longer than the actual fight. Uh, but the main question with uh, with Tank Davis is who is he going to fight next? Is he going to stay at, at 130? Because he did have some trouble with the weight. Uh, you know, he was only 0.2 ounces over, and he cut that off. But he's had trouble in the past. Will he stay at 130, or will he move up to 135 where he can fight, you know, Luke Campbell, Anthony Corolla, of course, the fight at 130 for Tank Davis, I still think, uh, is Tevin Farmer. Finally, the last fights of the weekend came Sunday night. ESPN, top rank, really fun night of fights. It's been a great start so far of 2019 with competitive fights. We saw so many mismatches over the year. But Ray Beltran in Okada, I thought was the fight of the weekend. Uh, Beltran has nine lives. He's he's back once again. He lost his last fight. 
uh, to Pedraza. He comes back, goes up to 140, uh, takes out uh, Okada uh, in nine rounds. Uh, Okada fought the fight smart to begin with. You know, he had, he had the length advantage, uh, but he completely abandoned his jab, and that's when uh, Beltran pounced in that ninth round. The main event saw Jose Ramirez take on uh, Zapata, which was a really, really good fight, uh, a very smart fight uh, from Zapata, who picked his spots early on. Uh, you know, southpaw stance kind of confused Ramirez. Ramirez suffered a cut the first of his career. That's something you have to take into account for his performance. But, you know, I knew that Ramirez was going to catch a second wind. I knew he was going to step it up in the second half of a fight. He outlanded uh, Zepeda by a large margin over the second uh, half of the fight. He gets the controversial, you put air quotes around that, controversial win. There's many fans out there that think that if the fight wasn't in Fresno, then maybe, you know, it would have been a draw. Or maybe he would have lost. But how about this? How about those fans in Fresno, California, man? 14,000 fans on a Sunday night packed in there uh, to see Jose Ramirez. Top rank is doing a phenomenal job when it comes to placing fighters in their hometowns. We saw them do it for years with Terrence Crawford out in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, Jose Ramirez is the latest uh, in, in Fresno. What's going to happen with Jose Ramirez? Does he stay at 140 or does he move up to 147? If he fights at 147, he's going to face Terrence Crawford, and I do not think that is going to end well. If he stays at 140, I can see top rank kind of protecting him and I keep giving him opponents like we saw on Sunday or, you know, Regis Progre is certainly swirling around. We'll hear more from uh, on Regis Progre uh, with Lou DiBella. We'll get to our interviews now with uh, uh, Raging Babe, Michelle Rosado, and Lou DiBella, and it's coming up next. Our next guest here on Inside Boxing Live is one of the up-and-coming promoters in the sport. On this past Friday, she put on one of the best shows, best club shows in uh, in Philadelphia at the 2300 Arena. A sold-out card uh, with no TV deal, uh, no belts, no celebrities, as she likes to say, is the Raging Babe. Michelle Rosado joins us now on the show. Now, Michelle, have you uh, been able to catch your breath since uh, last Friday? Um. I've been trying to catch up on sleep. I've tried to take a couple days off as much as I could. Um, after an event, it literally just sucks the life out of me because it's like six to eight weeks of straight adrenaline mm-hmm. and go, go, go. And then when it's over, it's over, you know? So I'm kind of like getting my bearings back and kind of getting into the flow now. Yeah. So I know I, my main question for you is how'd you do it i mean sold out like and and i know that the fans will follow you on instagram and and twitter and you'll give us updates on everything that's going on but you were pretty instrumental about the fact that you know you are a a small fish in a big pond and Mm -hmm. you wanted to get the word out and you wanted to get on local tv and you wanted to do all that can you just share with us how you did this how did you get to a sold out card with basically you know little to no help well, I think we definitely had the right fighters on the card, um, and it's always good to work with fighters that really want to fight. So we had really good 50-50 matchups on the card. Oh, one moment. My alarm went off. That was my <laughs> reminder to call you. Nice. Um, so we had really good 50-50 matchups. I think Philly knows boxing, so they knew that the fights were going to be good. Russell Peltz was the matchmaker, so you know what to expect. And real promoters promote. We hit the streets. We hit the ground. You know, we did the right advertising. The fighters on the card are all very vocal. You know, they're very good at self-marketing and self-promoting themselves. Um, We also were a little strategic in that we used fighters from, like, different parts of the city. It was important to me not to use, you know, like, three or four guys out of the same gym. 
You know, it's like, well, let's use a guy from this gym, a guy from that gym, a guy from over here. And you kind of pull from all parts of the city. Yeah, like that makes a lot of sense when you explain it like that. Uh, you bring up Russell Peltz, and I know that he uh, plays a big role uh, with you. I know you work with him, and uh, he's kind of like a, uh, a mentor to you. How did that relationship come about? It came about several years ago. I started working with Gabe Rosado and helping him with his branding and his marketing and sponsorships. And I first met Russell formally when Gabe bought Gennady Golovkin at the Garden. Mm-hmm. And a few months after that, Bam, who is also one of Russell's protégés, she reached out to me and said, hey, you should really come back to Philly, work with us, yada, yada, yada. I was, kind of, I was working with Mayweather Promotions at the time, but I was ready to walk away. And I'm glad I did. And Bam got me with Russell. And I got to know him more when Gabe bought Kid Chocolate in mm-hmm. Atlantic City. Right. And we really hit it off. And I loved what he stood for and how he did his thing in boxing. And, and what I loved about what Russell told me is he never wanted to be a big guy. He didn't want to be a Bob Arum, a Don King. He didn't, he didn't want to be an Al Heyman. He loved Philly boxing and he loved doing Philly shows and developing guys from the ground up. And I thought that was awesome because he could have been a big guy. He could have got big TV deals and big site fees, but his heart was in local boxing, and that's where my heart is. So we were a really good fit. Yeah, I know. I read something on about how you did work at, at Mayweather and, you know, the mm-hmm. bright lights and all that. That can be alluring, and I know that could, could suck you in. But what makes you, what draws you into these club shows? What draw, I, I mean, I've been around them my whole life. I love them, too. Like, what made mm-hmm. you want to focus on building, you know, these fighters from a ground level? Is it more satisfying to yeah. you to see it? it? It is more satisfying. All that glitters ain't gold, <laughs> okay? Um There's nothing better than seeing a very young kid come up on local shows and you see him fighting for a world title or you see him on television, you know, seizing his moment that you really cannot describe that feeling. And the best story I can use is Jared Hurd, where for many years he was fighting in the local club circuit in Maryland and D.C. and nobody knew who he was. And he got his moment on Showbox when he got the Frank Galarza fight. And he sees his moment, and look at him now. And the guy, Ross, out of Maryland, you know, yeah. is the one that was putting him yep. on them local shows and, and, and getting a match right and developing it. And now to see him as a world champion, it's like, man, he was just fighting on local shows. And that and that's, that's something you can't describe. It's kind of like Jason Sosa for us in Philly. You know, he was working at a pizza parlor shop. <laughs> And he trusted the process, and Russell built him tough. And then he goes to China, and he beats Fortuna. And then he goes to Monte Carlo, and he beats Steven Smith. And then that landed the Lomachenko fight. And, you know, he's made really good money. He doesn't have to work in a pizza shop. You know, that those are the stories I love. You think of Gabe Rosado, started boxing late, fighting on local club cards. Look at him now. Look at the money he's making. Look at the level he's on and the titles that he's fought for. So for me, that's more meaningful. Yeah, I do a lot of work with with the Bella and the Broadway boxing here in New York, and that's been a Same staple thing. for 15 years. Yep. And you've seen you've seen guys make their debuts. You've seen Andre Berto fighting there. You've seen Paulie Malignaggi. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's so many names I can list that off the top of my head that have fought for Broadway boxing, and it's very yeah. similar to the club scene uh, that you're explaining. But who are some of your 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 mentors other than Russell Peltz? I know being a female, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. Being a female in a male dominated sport uh, cannot be easy. Is there a female in boxing that you know that you look up to? 
I really look up to Jolene Mazzone. She's the matchmaker at main events, but she's so much more than that. She's the best. She knows opera. Yeah, she knows operations. She knows matchmaking. She knows, like, she kind of is the whole package. And matchmaking is by far the hardest job in this business. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, I don't want to become a matchmaker. I see what they go through. You know, you have finicky fighters. They agree to a fight. Then they pull out. They fake injuries. Then they start holding you hostage for money. It's like these things really happen. It's a really hard job. The week of the fight, you're praying to God that everybody stays healthy, that nobody pulls out of a fight. You're praying to God your main event makes it to fight night. It's just a whole nother level of stress, you know. So I give Jolene a lot of props. She knows her shit. Um, I think she's probably the only woman matchmaker in the business. Yeah. And um, she holds it down. She does a really great job with their young guys and their champions. Do you have an affinity for main events considering, you know, Kathy Duva and Nicole Duva and Jolene, like you just mentioned, they kind of are, are running the show over there? Yeah, I got a lot of respect for them. It's not easy. You see the criticism. Oh, you guys should be doing this. You guys don't know this. You know, everybody thinks they have the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on in my career, Jackie Callen was very influential to me. She's one of the first ones that I met in boxing. Um, her style is more management. And I never wanted to go into the management route just because I'm not a good babysitter. You know, I I hate to say it like that, but, you know, these are grown men. And when you manage fighters, you know, you end up doing a little babysitting. And I just felt like I was better off going the promotional route. You know, I'd rather do good quality events. Um, And so that's why, you know, me and Russell kind of, you know, hit it off more on a working aspect. But I got a great deal of respect for Jackie Callen. Um, Christina Poncher, I think she's trailblazing with reporting and commentary. She's waited years to get to where she is. And again, she trusted the process. She stayed loyal. And now she's shining. I love Claudia Trejos, Monica Sears at Golden Boy. She does a great job. There's a lot of women in the industry that I respect. I'm probably forgetting some, but... Behind every big promoter is an army of women that make the engine go. I say it all the time. Al Heyman's right-hand man is a woman named Sylvia, and she runs the show over there. So there's typically an army of women behind these guys. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. More with Raging Babe coming up next. I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, have you seen an improvement over the last maybe like two to three years when it comes to women in the workplace, and I don't just mean women in the workplace, but in boxing. It's a male-dominated sport. Everything that goes going on in Hollywood with the Me Too movement, I know there has to be some stories in your past that that were just awful, just you know, idiots out there, yeah. jerks, and everything. Do you feel like it's like improving? Do you do you see like a, the tide is changing and it's becoming more accepted? Do you feel more accepted in the boxing community? I, I do because I've earned my stripes, and I think that's the important thing. In the beginning. You're going to get hazed a little bit. I got hazed by other women in the industry who told me, make it five years and then talk to me. Wow. If you're here in five years from now, that, and that's okay because it's true. Usually somebody comes into boxing and they want to take over. Mm. And it's not, it's not like that. you got to get yourself a mentor, and they're gone in like two or three years. So most people in the business say, if you've been around five years, we'll entertain talking to you. Um, so yeah, I got hazed a lot in the beginning. I got what was called names and groupies and this and that, but it's about how you carry yourself. It's about earning your stripes. 
And after a while, that all stopped. Like every once in a while, I'll get a jerk off that says something crazy on Twitter about me. But, you know, they're just like a troll. But as far as like in the industry, I think like I've earned a little respect. I still have a long way to go. And it's how you carry yourself. Like fighters no longer come up to me and say crazy stuff to me because they know they can't. Where in the beginning, they're like, oh, she's probably easy. I could probably get her in bed with me. They can't come at me like that no more. Like they know like, you know, that's raging babe. Like we're not going to come at her crazy. So it's how you carry yourself. Yeah. How did you get the Raging Babe name? I mean, I mean, uh, I, I read something about it, but I wanted to get your, your thoughts on where did that name come from? It came from the Phoenix New Times. I did my first show in Phoenix in 2011. They wanted to interview me after the show because it was a good show, and they wanted to talk about the immigration laws that were happening back then in Arizona. And I didn't really want to get into it because I don't like talking politics at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we sat down and we talked about the immigration laws and how it was affecting boxing and how it was affecting promoters like Bob Arum and Oscar Del Hoya not doing shows at that time in Arizona. And I kind of took it by the horns and I ran with it and we did a photo shoot. Everything was great. I had no idea I was going to be on the front cover at all. And it came out, I was on the front cover and they dubbed me the raging babe. And that was all she wrote. That is I great. gave them all the credit. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And now you have a, now you have a brand. You, I mean, I know you're in marketing, yeah. but you're the raging babe. I mean, what does it feel yeah. like to get, you know, I follow you on Twitter and you're very vocal on there. I'll touch on that in a second, but how about like the outpouring <laughs> from like Bruce Trampler and you have guys from top rank, you have people like, you know, Leonard Ellerby all over the place. They're saying, great job, Michelle, you know, you killed it. And I mean, it has to feel good to get to like going back to what you just talked about about getting acceptance from the boxing community it does feel good because they remember when i first started when i first kind of got into the business i remember reaching out to lou DeBella. he was like one of the first guys that i reached out to for an internship he never returned my emails he never returned my calls. <laughs> well he doesn't answer my calls either so that's all it's all good well you know you got to go through that hazing you have to go right. through that trial where you got to prove yourself so no they weren't interested in talking to me i mean who's this girl she has no idea what she's doing she knows nothing about this business goodbye you know and i went and now me and lou talk every other day we text (laughs) each other we're calling each other he's screaming i'm screaming at him it's like it's funny how all this came around full circle and i remind him all the time when he didn't give me the time of day when i wanted to intern for him and now he's like fuck i wish i would have called her back i wish i would have emailed her back And Leonard Ellerby, you know, he took a shot on me early on and had me working with them. And they were doing the brunches with me. And and I love Leonard. He was always good to me. Um, Bruce Trampler, I mean, he's like an icon to me, like a living legend. So, yeah, like hearing him say good job, that, that means a lot to me. I think that, you know, besides Russell, you know, a couple other mentors I had in the industry are actually guys from top rank. I love uh, getting to learn from Carl Moretti and Brad Jacobs. I think that they are the sharpest in the business. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, it's biased. They're so sharp at what they do when we work together on shows. Like, I can't tell you, like, how much better it makes me. You know, I learn little things from Brad Jacobs. I learn things from Carl Moretti. So I like to look up to them, too. Yeah, it seems like you you are you are friendly with a lot of different entities in boxing. It's so fragmented. I yeah, I think it's important. I think Russell taught me that too, because why burn bridges? Why shut people out because of 
who they're signed with or what network they're on or who's their manager. Like, who cares? If it makes business sense, you got to work with everybody. Now, that doesn't mean you got to like everybody. You know, there's times where you got to do business with people that you just might not like. Mm -hmm. But if it's going to help your fighter and if it's going to get him where he needs to go and get him the right fight, you got you to gotta put that ego to the side and make it happen. And that is what Russell has taught me over the past five years. I've seen him work with Heyman. I've seen him work with the Bella top-ranked golden boy, Tom Brown, Eddie Hearn. He will work with anybody if it makes sense for his fighter to put them in a better position, to get them a payday. And that's how I want to go. Like, that's how I want to move in this business. I want to be able to work with everyone. Yeah, you have to. I mean, we're seeing it so much in boxing now where it's like, you know, I'm only with PBC, the fans or the fights even there where it's so fragmented and only, you know, only fights are getting made under under certain umbrellas. And like, let's go back to the throw it back to the 80s and 90s where, you know, main events and and Russell and and Lou and all them, they worked with everyone. Do you want to see that more in boxing? What's the biggest thing holding back? Maybe this question's asked all the time. Like, what's, you know, boxing's dead but it really isn't but there are little things that need to be improved I I, I think the biggest hurdle today is the network so it's like I bet that Bob Aaron and Heyman would do business if they weren't fighting over what network the fight was going to be oh it's got to be on Showtime it's got to be on ESPN because they have their own deals you know so Mm -hmm. I think that's a really big hurdle right now and you got a lot of fighters acting like they have network deals, but they don't. Like, oh, well, you got to come over here and fight on Showtime. On my bro, side of the street. Have a show t- right. Yeah, but, bro, you don't have a Showtime deal. Your advisor does. You know what I mean? So it's like, and same for the guys. Oh, you got to come fight on ESPN. Well, if you don't have an ESPN deal, you don't know what you're talking about. Your promoter has it. Um, but anyway, I think that's the biggest hurdle. It was the same way when – it was HBO and Showtime. Like, that was the biggest obstacle in making some of the bigger fights. It's like, well, what networks? You know, it's crazy. It is nuts. It's just. It's crazy. I mean, I, I work for CompuBox, and, and you know that. And it's like, you know, we work with everyone. And it's very. When you say that you work with all different promoters, that's something we've been doing for over 30 years. That's why I'm able to get great guests on this show because we work with everyone. Everyone has to work together. We want this sport to thrive. We don't want it to be so fragmented. But. You know, out of all the, 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 the current landscape, do you think that the streaming services, uh, mostly DAZN and ESPN+, Plus, do you see them emerging and then they'll be like kind of the new HBO versus Showtime? Uh, I think ESPN's going to do really well. It's a sports channel, you know. So Top Rank was really smart a couple years ago when Todd DeBuff said, you know, our competition is the NBA and Major League Baseball, and the NFL. It's not HBO. It's not Game of Thrones. It's not Sex in the City or right. The Sopranos. You know what I mean? Like, that's not our competition. And I think that he was brilliant when he said that. And honestly, I kind of used that with this Philly special show. And I'll talk about that later. But when he said that, like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, dude, he's absolutely right. And they went to ESPN, a sports channel, to try to compete with the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball. Now, I think the app is going to do really well because of everything else you can get on the app. It's definitely not just for their boxing, Mm -hmm. but if you've gone on there, I mean, you can watch anything, anytime. You know, I think it was just really smart. I think ESPN Plus will do better than The Zone. More with Raging Babe coming up next.
Yeah, I think, yeah, because of, like, what you just said, the fact that they have so much more, they have U.S. rights to games, and, you know, they have a, a network promoting it. I mean, this past Sunday, it was smart to put that card, the Beltran and the, the card on ESPN and not Plus oh, yeah. because, you know, mm-hmm. they can promote it. It's Sunday night. A lot of people are tuning in. The ratings uh, did very well. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what goes on in the business world. But tell us what you got planned. What's next? I mean, you got to, you know, you're only as good as your last show, right? So what's next for Raging you're, Babe? Yes. You're right. I always try to outdo my last show. I only compete with myself and sometimes the Eagles and the Sixers when they're doing well. Oh, man. Um, But what I have next is we are working with Matchroom Boxing on the big March 15th show in Philly with Tevin Farmer, Gabe Rosado. We got Lundy Sparrow and all Philly Rumble on the undercard, which is what everybody's talking about, believe it or not, in Philly. And then March 30th, Top Rank is coming to town with an ESPN show with The Nail. Right. What's his name? Gavatsik? It's a Gavatsik? tough. Don't, you can't put me on a spot like that and try to me pronounce his I name. Know. I was just well, talking to Teddy nail, last night and I couldn't pronounce it. The nail is on there, and then we'll have um, some uh, Sonny Canto, who just made his pro debut, Italian heavyweight from South Philly. He'll be on there. Um, and then, you know, it's time for me to go back to Arizona for a month or two and shake some things up on, you know, out there before I come back. My goal would be to come back to Philly in the summer and do something in Atlantic city. And then I'd like to wrap up the year and do a big show for Russell's 50th year anniversary in October. That's awesome. You got a plan. That's great. I love it. And finally, let's get to Twitter. Finally, uh, you know, (laughs) you are very big on Twitter and you are, uh, showing everyone how, you know, the behind the scenes, almost like your own personal 24 seven. Do you do Mm -hmm. that because you want fans to to see it or maybe something that you need to do just to keep your sanity? Like what's goes behind that? me at all one day i hope somebody can take over my social media yeah, that'd be it nice, right? so much of my life it's so time consuming but i do it to show people the real like people have a misconception like oh she's living life it is glamorous <laughs> look at her she must be making all this money no i live out of a suitcase i travel year round I stay with my best friend at her house and I sleep in her daughter's twin bed (laughs) or I'm sleeping at Russell's house on the fourth floor Um, in Arizona. I stay in my mom's basement. Like I want to show people the real, this is like a real struggle. You got to put your life on hold for like a good year to like really have your breakthrough. And I left my engineering job and I was like, yo, it's now or never. I got to give it everything or I got to forget about this dream of mine. And that's what I've been doing, you know, no more eating out, shopping, buying clothes, buying shoes, like all that. That's out the door. And I want people to see like, this is real. Like, you know, I wish I did have a reality show. Let me tell you, I was saying the other day, I wish I would have had a camera following me the entire day of the weigh in through fight night up until the next day. It would have won an Emmy. If I told you the shit that happened I, in I know. three uh, yeah. days, yeah. you wouldn't even believe it. You would think I was making it up. That's crazy. And I'm like, if I had a camera on me, I would have got it. I would have got a show on ESPN. <laughs> I swear to God, they would have been like, no way did she go through that. <laughs> what did Larry Merchant say? It's the boxing, it's the theater of the unknown, and you only the fans at home only see when you turn on the camera or when they turn on their TV and they see the, yeah, the final well, product. They see me. They see me on fight night, big crowd. I got my dress on, my hair done. Yeah. Please. It it was a struggle to get to that point. You know, like, 
you know, but I want people to see what it really is. I want, you know, it's real. Yeah, it is real. And that's the feeling I get from talking to you. Uh, Michelle, do, keep doing a great job. I really uh, enjoyed this conversation and you're really resonating with the fans, you're resonating with the, the industry. And I, I want to see what you got in store next. Thank you. And when this is posted, let me know so I could share it. Of course. That's yeah, of course. I appreciate definitely. It. All right, Michelle. Thank I, you so you know much. What? I've been, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I've been turning down a lot of interviews because the show on Friday was like so bittersweet the way that it ended. Right, yeah, I do want to, and yeah, I'm glad, glad you brought that and up. And I'm glad, yeah, and I'm glad that I did this with you, you know, just because it's boxing, it's real, it happens, you know, it's like the theater of the unexpected, like Mar- like Larry Merchant says. Right, absolutely. Michelle, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Michelle Rosado, the Raging Babe, check her out on uh, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. She's everywhere. Michelle, thank you so much. Thanks. This week's In Case You Missed It is dedicated to one man and one man only, rightfully so. He is Marcos Maidana. If you caught up over the news, you will see that Marcos Maidana has announced his comeback via bubble bath. He made an announcement that he's stepping back in the ring, ending his uh, retirement over there in Argentina, and uh, I could not be more excited. Uh, we'll get to some of the fun stuff in a bit, but just about the, the, the details of this deal. According to Mike Coppinger of The Ring, it's a multi-fight deal. Uh, that sees him come back. Uh, his first comeback fight will be at 154, uh, which if you've seen Maidana lately, that's going to be very tough fighting at 154 pounds. But that's going to be for $1.5 million. That's his first fight back. It's the second fight that you want to keep an eye on. That one is going to be at 147 for a minimum of $3.5 million. And we know that the PBC has the cream of the crop when it comes to 147-pounders. If you watch that video of Marcus Maidana in the bathtub, he called out pretty much every fighter under the sun from Canelo uh, to Mayweather uh, to Pacquiao. But I can see him fighting Thurman. I can see him fighting Broner in a, in a rematch that would make a lot of sense for, for a number of reasons. No belts would be on the line. It would be a, a grudge match of sorts. But those are the specifics. Those are the details. Those are the nuts and bolts of this uh, historic comeback. But I will say this. I'm, to be honest, I'm a little sad uh, to see that Marcos Maidana is coming back to the ring. No, not because I don't think he can lose the weight or I don't want to see him lose. It's because we're no longer going to be seeing these photos from his retirement that would resurface every five to six months in Argentina or wherever he is uh, in the world. He has risen to like a, a folklore status, uh, Marcos Maidana, for what he did to Adrian Broner, giving him his first loss, you know, taking Mayweather into deep waters to this day, uh, to quote uh, Deontay Wilder, to this day, uh, Marcos Maidana uh, landed the most punches on Floyd Mayweather in any fight he's ever been in. So, you know, 50 fights that we have tracked in CompuBox, 221 punches in that first round. That's how many, in that first fight, that's how many Marcos Maidana landed. With that being said, yes, it's great he's coming back. But let's take a look at the top five retirement looks for Marcos Maidana, starting with Maidana in fat camp. This is exactly why I don't think he can make this comeback or I'm taking this comeback with with a a grain of salt. Seriously, the man is a cheeseburger away from 300 pounds. Uh, I don't really know if he's going to come back. And keep in mind that I did laugh at Tyson Fury when these same photos were coming out of him in the gym when he was close to 400 pounds and he came back. Yes, Tyson Fury's 30. Marcos Maidana's 35. Uh, That's photo number one. That's something we've seen resurface when Maidana got back into the ring. Number two. Maidana with two guns. Maidana has a thing for guns. Uh, You Google search his name or you search his name on Instagram. 
he's most likely going to be holding a gun, shooting a gun. Uh, he's got two guns tattooed on his on his on his chest. Uh, this dude loves guns. I even saw a video of him. He was like standing on a rock and he had like a pistol, but it was like an automatic pistol, and he was just firing it into a stream. Great stuff. But we're gonna move on here. Number three, Marcos Maidana. Told you, keeping up with this gun theme, looks like Tony Soprano here. Remember that last episode of Tony Soprano where he was in that safe house and he kept the gun on his chest? Listen, I'll tell you what. Do not wake up uh, El Chino from a nap or you're probably going to get shot in the face. How about this one? When Marcos Madonna isn't playing cops and robbers with his gun-wielding friends, he likes to relax. He likes to have a nice adult beverage with some high fashion. Look at the shoes and the shirt to match. These are like most of the photos. We've seen from Madonna. He's like when he's not shooting guns, he's chilling. He's drinking his his whiskey, and he's got a cigar. And his outfits are absurd. Finally, that brings us to our last, the best look from Marcos Madonna. This is Marcos on Rodeo Drive. Take a look at that Gucci comforter. I don't know what that is. That thing is massive. There is no way that Marcos Madonna got that thing onto a plane. Like, that thing, he probably gave it to a bum on Rodeo Drive who then sold it and is now living large because that thing is massive. There's no way that fit uh, in an overhead. It could be a robe uh, for Maidana, but there it is. Marcos Maidana's top five looks. Uh, listen, I'll take this more seriously once we see some photos of him dropping the weight, but, you know, you got to love El Gino. We go from one up-and-coming promoter in the Raging Babe, and now we have the veteran, the uh, Mr. Lou DiBella joins us now on Inside Boxing Live. Lou, how's it going, man? Good. You had my girl Michelle on? Yes, and she told a great story uh, about how she tried to uh, apply for an internship a couple years ago with uh, DiBella Entertainment, and you didn't know exactly who she was. It was it was good stuff. No, it had nothing to do with that. If you think that like she applied for an internship, and I, I never even knew she applied for an internship, but <laughs> it never got to me. The funny part is I've been wanting to have interns forever because they're free labor and my employees don't seem to be so keen on it and they've never sort of followed through and it's like, you know, she must have called the office and, you know, they, they all knew I wanted interns and, and, uh, and, uh, I think they might they might have just like sort of shelved her, yeah. but I, I never even knew that she applied. I think I even even applied to be an intern at Debella at one point. I'm sure no one responded to you either. <laughs> no, you're right, absolutely right. Now I had to, I got to do this show on my own. Now, now. you know why. Yeah, yeah, now I know why. But yeah, she was awesome, and no, uh, she, she she works hard, and I uh, she's a real hustler. I admire what she's what she's doing. Yeah, she did list you, know, you as one of her uh, her mentors. Yeah, well, she's you know. She works her ass off, and, and she's passionate about it, and she loves, you know, the sport and the business, and, you know, like, there are a lot of people that have been promoting for years that don't put in the effort that she puts in or, and don't understand the grassroots of boxing. You know, if you're, there's a whole different way of promoting an arena show um, that's of worldwide significance and promoting a local show where you're trying to build, you know, uh, uh, for the future, and you're trying to build... Um, an audience to to support boxing on a regular basis, and you know she's done it in multiple places. She's from the Philly area. She's done it there, but she's also been successful when she went to Arizona and tried to do it there. And that's just that's just like hustle and hard work. Yeah. And a lot of people would say they want to be involved in the business, 
they could learn a lot from Raging Babe. Yeah. Enough of my endorsement of Michelle, but I, I do admire what she's doing. No, absolutely. I think I, I even brought up Broadway Boxing and how, you know, you've been doing that grassroots for, for almost 15 years now. Another show coming up March 2nd. I'm uh, looking forward to that one out in Ohio. Uh, but I do want to talk to you about some of the fighters on your roster. I know that Richard Comey had a huge win uh, last weekend, and uh, he's lined up for, for Lomachenko. But, you know, something happened with his hand. What's the latest on uh, Richard Comey's health? Um, you know, he's he's got a problem with a ligament in his his hand. Uh, he hurt it in in the fight. He aggravated it in the fight. Um, he can't fight in April. I mean, we we want to win that fight. We want him to be a hundred percent. And that and I think Comey against Lomachenko is one of the best lightweight matches you can make. And I want to make sure that it's made at a time where both guys are at full strength. And Richard's not going to be at full strength for April. Um, but that's certainly a fight that we're going to do later this year, and you know we have we have a deal with Top Rank that that um, that calls for their ability to make that fight in 2019, and it's a fight that Richard wants, and you know we'll figure out our next steps as soon as we know exactly how long Richard's going to be off. I mean, he could be back in the ring as soon as as you know May or June, or, or and you know we'll see what exactly the doctor says and what the, what the the treatment and the prognosis are, and we're going to know a lot more about that in the next week or so. Do you think he'd take a, a, a tune-up, or do you think he'd go right to Loma? Um, it, you know, it, dep- uh, it depends on the hand, but I would sort of like, I don't want to call it a tune-up, but I would sort of like a, if he's going to be off a significant amount of time, he's just won the title, uh, there's an injury there, that's not a, it's not a... Uh, a get-back fight. That's what Thurman uses. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we might want a fight in between, but yeah. let's see. I, I want to know more about everything that's going on. And, and, you know, right now we know there's a problem with the hand. We don't know the severity of it fully yet. We know he's not ready for April, but um, we don't know exactly how quickly he will be ready. I want to know all the details before we figure out what we need. But, you know, he's a world champion now, and I think he's an exciting guy with huge, he's likable as a person. He's got tremendous punching power, um, fun fighter to watch. You know, I don't think there's any reason to, 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 be hasty. I think we can, you know, with top rank, come up with a, a plan for him that uh, that makes the most sense and, and that includes Loma later in 2019. More with Lou DiBella coming up next. Okay, let, let's move over to who I think is the most talented fighter in your stable, Regis Progre. A lot of, uh, un, I don't know what the right word to use, but there's a lot of uh, mysterious things going on with the World Boxing Super Series. I don't know how much you can speak on that, but I know his fight was moved from May. He doesn't have a date yet. It could be New Orleans uh, for this, uh, I think it's a semifinal uh, fight uh, in the World Boxing Super Series. Do you have anything that you can share with us on, on Regis Progre? Will he stay in the World Boxing Super Series? Because we've seen fighters drop out. What do you got for us? He's, you know, he. there's a lot of areas of, that his management are, are concerned with. You know, the way the Super Series works, and I wonder if the Super Series even fully understands this because they're a European-based entity. Um, the contract is really done with the fighter and his management. And the promoter, you know, basically um, gives the fighter the right, you know, basically assigns his rights for the length of the tournament and gives the fighter the right to go into the tournament, which is what we did because Regis wanted all the belts and wanted a frequency of fighting. The tournament promised three fights in approximately 10 months. And it's no secret that the tournament is having issues. And, you know, I guess there was an issue with one of the economic partners behind the tournament having 
uh, not stepping up to their obligation, and, and, and the tournament has been struggling to, to right its ship, mm-hmm. and Regis has been giving them opportunity to try to do that. I mean, yeah. Regis's management is, is in conversations right now with the tournament in an effort to allow Regis to stay in the tournament and to get the proper assurances that the tournament's going to continue and, you know, know when the fights are going to take place and know that the money is there. And, and the tournament has been trying to, uh, to address these issues and it remains to be seen, you know, what's going to happen at the moment. Regis has not, um, pulled out of the tournament but there are certainly issues that need to be resolved yeah at what point i mean how much longer can he can he go this is a guy that that's had to deal with a lot of things outside of the ring uh, you know holding him back finally so it we, feels like we need we need basically uh within within a week right you know by, by the end of this week i would even say um we need to know where we're going from here because he needs to get back in the ring he's a young champion yeah he's a young star um he needs to get back in the ring and we, and we need a certainty of what's going on pretty quickly so and you know uh, 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 that's been that's been relayed to the tournament and, and that's the position of Regis and his management that they need to get back in the ring and they need to know for certain uh, what date he's going and where and uh, you know we'll see where that goes hopefully there'll be some resolution in the next week or so so Mark Wahlberg will show up at the doorstep of Carol Sauerland and threaten him no, but I think that you know Peter Berg and Sam Kikowski, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. You know they they they're not you know they're not fucksters. These aren't people looking to screw somebody. They we made we made a deal with the tournament because we like the tournament. Yeah. we like the concept. It's a good concept. He, we just love the ability to fight you know quickly. But to be honest, we expected to be back in the ring this month, and there's not even an announcement of our next fight yet. Yeah, you know he he, he committed to a tournament based on the promise that he'd fight three times. In, in roughly you know ten months, he hasn't fought since October, and they haven't announced this next fight yet. That's so, frustrating. You know, we're trying to work with the tournament, and I don't think the tournament had bad intentions at all. I think part of you know some of the problems the tournament encountered are the kind of problems people often encounter in business. Um, you know, but at the same time, a fighter's time frame for fighting, a, a fighter's the length of a fighter's prime and his career is limited, and you can't afford to leave six months or a year on the table mm-hmm. and you can't afford um, not to fight you, you have to get in the ring and fight when you're at the prime of your career and you know we're not in a position to wait much longer on to another topic wilder fury what can you give us on this and there is rumors of uh you know a late may early june can we see at the barclays center please i want to i want it to be right down the street from me luke please tell me wilder fury will be at barclays not telling you it's going to be at Barclays, but I'm also not going to tell you it's not. I mean, there'll be a big announcement soon, and and you'll hear. Unfortunately for you, at the same time as everyone else. Okay, all right, I got you. But but I look, I think that that it, obviously it's the the, the purse bid is was canceled, and the organ, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the WBC knows that the fight is imminently going to be announced and 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 finalized, and. Um, you know, I, the rest of the details, I think it's, it's not a bad thing when everybody's waiting with anticipation. Yeah. The rest of the details have come out soon enough. But it was sensational the first time around, and I think it's going to be even better the next time. Totally agree with you there. Uh, one thing I've noticed from you, Lou, is, is you're doing more of these promotions with Eddie Hearn. I feel like the you buried the hatchet and the, the bromance is back. How has it been working with uh, Mr. Eddie Hearn? Do you have a message for, for Eddie? I have no message for Eddie. I mean, you know, I, I, look, I'll... 
I'm happy to work with with Eddie and DAZN if there's good opportunities for my fighters. And you know, I think it's in the industry's interest that all of these endeavors in boxing um, work. That's the best case scenario for the whole business and the industry. Um, I still think that free TV is usually important, and and Sergey Derevchenko is going to fight on a PBC show um, in April, and and I and I I'm happy to do deals with with Al Heyman and PBC, and and I Richard Comey just fought on ESPN Linear, mm-hmm. you know, and not not on ESPN Plus. He he was on ESPN Linear and had that sensational performance in front of a a big audience on ESPN. So I mean I you know I'm I'm willing to do business with everybody and anybody as long as it's in the interest of my fighters and i'm not hating on anybody you know i I want to see people survive and frankly i want to see more players get involved and more platforms become available um you know i think it's inevitable that you'll see more develop entertainment content on 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 platforms that are presently in the business and other platforms that haven't announced yet but will enter the, the business i think that it's uh it's not a bad time in this marketplace to be a quote-unquote free agent. Yeah, you're right. Look, I've known Eddie since he's friggin' eight years old. I, mean, <laughs> I never hated the kid, and, yeah. and, and and I don't think he ever hated me. I mean, we we you know we we, we both uh, have senses of humor, and we both are you know like to mix it up. And and um, you know there was a time where we were mixing it up pretty good on social media, but at the same time, with this business to be done that's in the interest of of both of us and our fighters, then we're going to do that business. And, and similarly, when there's, there's business I can do with, with PBC and Al, I think the PBC right now is in a, a great situation having as much free TV as they do. And I think that free TV is usually important. Um, you know, streaming is the future, but so is space travel. And, and yes, there's good product on streaming now, but streaming is not predominant yet. And you don't build, hard to build a fighter on a streaming service. It is. And it's hard to build a demographic on a streaming service. You need that linear you know, behind you, though. That's we're seeing with ESPN Plus, 2 million subscribers, you know, 568,000 in two days. I mean, it's certainly getting there, but you're right. They have ESPN yeah, pushing them. with all due respect, it got there, you know, 560,000 subs in two days were 560,000 subs directly related to, to UFC. UFC. Yeah. yeah, but they're there, though. They're there now. And then no, they, they're they, there, and that's yeah. great for everybody. I'm looking right. for, I mean, I want ESPN Plus to succeed. I don't think it's an accident also that they added a tremendous number of subs when when um, NCAA football went online. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, 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 they tracked, they've added a million subs in the last six or seven months. Well, if you time that back, that's basically the start of, of uh, college football season, and then and then another big jump when the UFC came online. Yeah. Um, I think that boxing is, is, is serves a good purpose for ESPN Plus because they need proprietary programming. They need programming, you know that that you know. Look, the boxing's not blowing up. I don't want to like, disappoint the morons that don't understand the industry or or the sports world. The reason that there's so much boxing on so many platforms right now is not because boxing is at an all time high in terms of its strength and marketability and, and, and its demographics. No, it's not. It's because boxing is relatively inexpensive proprietary programming. Yep, totally agree. Lou, thank you so much for updates on all these topics. Love talking to you. I'll catch up with you soon. March 2nd, this is the next Broadway Boxing. You might see this beautiful face on your screen for that. I'm looking but forward to that. But March 2nd, is, March 2nd will be a Broadway Boxing yep. in Columbus. It's in association with the Arnold Classic. 
something we, we've been planning for since the last Arnold Classic. We're co-promoting it with the local promoter in Ohio. Yeah. And, um, Are you and, coming? And, uh, in Ohio, and, and it's attached to the the uh, Arnold, Arnold's uh, um, bodybuilding classic that's well, in Columbus that week. Will you be there? March 2nd. Um, March 2nd, there's also the show at Barclays Center with Lara against uh, uh, the kid from um, Argentina, right. Castaño, and uh, Luis Ortiz on that card. That That's at Barclays Center the same night. Um, and I think that that show is a... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's a Showtime show. It is. So, showtime, yeah. I'll be in Ohio, though, so we'll, we'll get some protein shakes. You'll get some protein shakes. We'll be in Ohio. We'll, we'll, we'll watch the fights, and then we'll tune in to, uh, to Showtime later. Can't beat it. Thank you, Lou, for joining us. Take care. Bye-bye.